Welcome to Aircrew Interview, I'm Mike Young, your host, and this is another one of our Q&A sessions we hold via our YouTube channel. This time, it's with Keith Orkey Nance on his time flying with the US Navy. So if you like what we do here, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview, where you can help us out for as little as $1 per month. You can also donate by going to aircrewinterview.tv forward slash donate. Thank you, and enjoy. From uh, SD Scorch, uh, can you ask him explain vector logic? And uh, basically, vector logic is uh, you take uh, fighters and you have a protected grid you set up, and uh, the fighters can occupy usually about 180 degrees of uh, clear zone or, or uh, safety zone out to about 200 to 300 miles. And then, of course, uh, the carrier may not be the center of that at all. May, no, no telling where the carrier is. But you have uh, aircraft that uh, are on about probably 100-mile uh, points out there for the 180 degrees. And you have takers, and you use those to protect the high-valued unit, basically. So it's uh, fairly involved. It takes a lot of airplanes. Uh, the carrier has to be what they call a flex deck meaning that uh, the carrier has to sit there in the wind the entire time to uh, launch or recover aircraft uh, to protect the air carrier or the high-value unit. And, uh, you know, you'll stay out there on station sometimes three, four, five, six hours, depending on how your assets are and the threat uh, coming in and, and that kind of stuff. You know, you also got Aegis-class uh, cruisers below you that are taking up any kind of leakers that come through and get towards uh, the high threat. And uh, it's fairly involved, fairly complicated. And uh, F-14 was the perfect aircraft to enforce and implement uh, vector logic. Okay, next question I have here is, uh, did you like, from John Ellis, did you like flying the F-5? The F-5 is kind of a neat airplane. It's very, very impotent. If you're in a Piper Cub, you can beat the F-5. If you can see the F-5, you beat it. It was uh, kind of fun flying because you can just walk over, jump in it, and you're airborne in five minutes. There's nothing intricate about it or uh, sophisticated, very simple. Uh, it almost never, never, ever went down. And uh, about every uh, 265 days, they bring it in the hangar, tear it apart like a monogram model. Uh, go through it, and then after a week, put it back on the line again, and you fly the crap out of it again. Uh, it was okay to fly. Uh, it, it looked tougher, it looked meaner on the ground than it did. And again, uh, it's just a force multiplier. It's not anything eye-watering as far as performance goes. If you can be anything uh, from a Piper Cub to a Cessna 150, you can beat the F5. Next one I have here, how do you rate U.S. fourth generation compared to Russian? Uh, the Russians are real good at beating their chest. They say everything's uh, fantastic and great, and they only build maybe eight, nine, ten of them, and they say that's enough. But uh, our aircraft have uh, been combat proven, and uh, compared to our aircraft, fourth generation compared to theirs, there's no comparison. Plus, we have a very, very complicated and intricate uh, command and control system that they do not have at all. So... Uh, I would uh, be more than uh, willing to go against a, a Soviet uh, fourth generation against my F-22 or even F-35. So that's, that's wrong generation, then. Or fourth generation. I'm sorry. Okay. 
but he was still that F-15, F-16, uh, the way we train, uh, the way we AMRAM missiles and stuff. Uh, you know, where they're going to beat us in that is their uh, AA-10 Charlie, the long-range, long-burn uh, medium missile uh, has greater range than what uh, the AMRAM is. So we've got to use better tactics to come in and get closer and shoot them. But I'd still be uh, would not be afraid to go against a uh, fulcrum or flanker. So. Hope that answers that one, hopefully. Uh, Yves Borgers, uh, hello, sir. How you doing? Uh, Northern Nightmare, oh, and hi, low. Uh, David, uh, let's see here. Let's get one. Let's go uh, I'm trying to. Uh, right oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. David Sandell, uh, your dad's a KC-135 pilot. Can you explain what it's done during a Navy leg? Uh, 135s, they, they, uh, we, Navy, we're only, we're probe and drove. We, uh. We have our own probe, and we asked the Air Force to bring their uh, big basset out. They're not too crazy about that because they have to reconfigure the uh, 135. We call the 135 the Iron Maiden because we go out there and uh, tank off that thing, and there's no uh, no take-up reel. The hose is about eight feet long. It doesn't take up at all. It kind of bends. And uh, more than one F-14 guy has had his canopy cracked or his probe door ripped off with uh, hanging on the basket with the 135. He's asking about what's done during the nav leg, not what it's about to do air tanking. Uh, I don't know what he means by nav leg. I have no idea. I'm not really sure what you mean by nav leg. I have no idea. You know, But the 135s are out there to provide gas for the air wing, and they, they, they park out there someplace, and we go over and tap them and get gas and come back and back and forth, basically. That's what, kind of what I, uh, what I get to on your question there, probably. <clears throat> Okay, I see a howdy here from uh, Freckle Punny. Steve Lehman, hi there. Go ahead. What's the matter? That's the next one. Huh? Just read the question. Dan. I am. I am. Uh, was there a noticeable power increase between the F-14A and the B models also? Well, the TF-30 is terrible, as I've heard, compression stall-wise. Okay, the A and the B, there was uh, really no comparison of thrust between the two of them. The A was about 17,900 pounds of thrust. The B was around about 28,000 pounds of thrust. So big noticeable difference there. But every stall I had in the F-14A, I created myself. Uh, I didn't find the F-14A, uh, find the TF-30 engines. I never lost a fight because of my engines. When I was fighting aircraft superior to me, as in I, uh, F-15 or F-16, I beat him by flying a better airplane. He had a better airplane than I did, but I basically knew where my airplane performed the best, and I would beat him by flying my airplane's most efficient, you know, turn rate and uh, energy-wise myself. So, yeah, the F-14A was uh, stalled, but it stalled because guys didn't fly it in the right parameters, and they were heavy-handed or heavy, heavy-legged out there cross-controlling it. So, yeah, the TF-30 uh, was kind of bad, but again. Uh, every, every question all I had, I caused myself. So, you know, uh, let's see here. David Smith, John Stash talked about maneuvering with split engine power. Was that really a thing? No, because you didn't really maneuver with, uh, split engines. I mean, if you go to idle on one and burn the other one, you're asking to put yourself in, uh, extremists. So, you know, anytime you're after fighting someone, you never have enough thrust. So to use differential thrust after fighting someone is, not a technique that's uh, will enhance your survivability with anybody else. So that really was uh, not anything to kind of talk about or even even do or think about. 
because the F-14 was not centerline thrust. It was uh, enough split back there in the back that uh, it, made, it made a big difference, but you needed every every, every pound of thrust you could get. Okay, here. Uh, Freckle punny. How realistic and unrealistic, probably more of the latter, are aviation movies, especially Top Gun? Uh, Top Gun itself, when I went through Top Gun in 1980, which is about five years before the movie was ever made, uh, Top Gun back then pretty much was kind of like the movie. It, it put the who into it. You go out and fight somebody at uh, Top Gun, and they, they would put uh, they put the who into it, and then their game plans go out there and uh, kick the crap out of you and uh, basically come back and let you know about it. It's a lot more generic now, a little more of uh, a lot less of the who, and uh, they talk about the goods and the others. Uh, the movie itself, uh, there's never a Top Gun trophy. Because had there been a Top Gun trophy that had guys getting killed trying to win it, so that was never an issue, never to come up. But uh, the movie followed Top Gun probably in around the early 80s or 1980 than what it really did uh, later on. So, you know, there, there's some similarities to it, but uh, the guys at Gun School did a great job with the movie because they controlled it. They kept Hollywood out of it, and they did all the flying scenes themselves and the choreography stuff, the flying scenes. We're all done by Rat Willard, the guys out there doing a great job. Okay, Joe D triple seven. Assuming equal pilots, can you give your opinions on how the F sixteen N versus F fourteen A B was in a BFM dogfight? Paul Nickel and Joe Naraki both flew F sixteen N and said Tomcat was sim- simply no match. Uh, it, it was. I'm, I know Naraki. Naraki, I know him very well. He was behind me in Tomcats, and uh, he went to the airlines early. I know him. Uh, you know, I fought plenty of the, the toughest F-16s to fight were the Navy F-16s. The guys flown by VF-45 down there because they'd fly them clean. Uh, they knew where to perform the airplane and not let you get them in that kind of a nose-low hole where the F-14 could perform well. Uh, I flew against F-16s and A's and against the Air Force and usually go out there and beat the crap out of them. Because mostly the F-16 guys, Air Force-wise, are air-to-mud guys. They don't train very much uh, in the air-to-air, and usually when they do, they're carrying tanks out there, which kind of limits their ability. So you're going up against an F-16 end. Uh, most of the time, uh, you're going to win against an F-14A and a B. I think when I was flying the F-16 end myself, I had one guy in a B get a snapshot on me once. The rest of the time out there, pretty well uh, gave them all a black eye. It's because most of the time your fleet aviators don't know how to fly the F-14 where it flies the best in its best uh, environment and best uh, performance envelope. And that's, that's where you beat people, you know, because most of the time pilots are, you know, both sides of the fence pretty average. And uh, But one guy knows how to fly his aircraft the best and the best performance envelope. He's going to win almost every time. Okay, here. Uh... Hell's Vec Phoenix missile system was always fascinating to me, but I heard the pilots really fired them because of how expensive they were. What are your thoughts on the Phoenix? The Phoenix was designed for one thing, and that was outer air war, air war uh, battle against uh, the horde of badgers and bears coming at the carrier. That's just strictly the reason they were designed and we had them. Although the Phoenix was a very, very good, what we call an ACM active shot. If you carry the Phoenix, uh, into, uh, say, an air-to-air mission where you're going against fighters, there was a no-escape zone at 10 miles. You could shoot the Phoenix, and it was like Pac-Man. You fired it, 
and it was a launch and lead missile right there and then. So, you know, yeah, you're right. A lot of guys wouldn't shoot it because it was expensive. But, you know, I mean, again, I didn't like hearing the Phoenix unless I was in the, in the area there where I knew I was going to be able to use it against something that would be useful for. When the Phoenix first got developed, uh, <clears throat> we were designed to shoot the, the carriers of the missiles, AS-4s and stuff and all that, out of 200 miles. And they started realizing that the missiles themselves – now being of a smaller square, you know, one square root, uh, square meter target, uh, the Phoenix wasn't going to be fast enough fusing wise to hit the missile. So then we started flying around with A54Cs clipped. That's what they call it, or clipped, because the warhead was clipped. So basically, once it got near anything, it would explode. And that's how we basically were able to start shooting down AS4s and that kind of stuff uh, inbound to the carrier. But again, as I said before, it was a great ACM active shot against something that, you know, 10 miles on in, especially going against a known bad guy. I want to get a thousand pounds of that thing off my airplane quick. Hopefully that answers your question. Uh, let's see here. Great mics. Uh, could, let's see here. You got to scroll up this one. Uh, scroll up a little more down. Scroll up a little more. There, there, right there. Could you, uh, could and should the F-14 have been upgraded for further service today in favor of F-15A Super Hornet? Yeah, it, it, it was available, but uh, the politics. And uh, politics uh, controls everything. I had uh, one of my really close friends, Pete Williams, was the F-14 class desk at that time. And he fought uh, three admirals that were all attack admirals. I won't say their names, but uh, he was going against them as a captain against three admirals. And every day they would change the numbers. And it was basically a uh, done deal politics-wise that uh, McDonnell Douglas was going to get the nod. And the Hornet Mafia or A7 Mafia was going to push to uh, push the Hornet through and the death of the F-14. So uh, we got the F-14 today. It'd be a great, great airplane. Uh, Tomcat 21 on paper, that's as far as it got, was an awesome airplane. But again, uh, politics took over. And about 19, oh, I guess about 93, 94, uh, certain people, now again, won't mention their names, uh, spelled the death of the F-14. And that was it. It was basically going to be out the door. Actually, Desert Storm actually hastened the early death the F-14 because then it became very, very apparent how uh, lacking we were uh, in electronic upgrade stuff that the F-15, F-16, and the Hornet had. So uh, that wasn't a good deal for us, but uh, it's a great airplane and it proved itself to be a great bombing airplane later on in life. But uh, the death knoll was already sounded, so it was done. Uh, okay, switch, John Ellis. Phil Granfield, hey, okay, uh, you were one of my instructors of flight school. Thanks for not giving me a down, filthy. Yes, Phil, I remember you very much. In fact, Frog Burgess and I still talk about you uh, off and on there, buddy. He remembers you big time. He's a good friend of mine. Lives very close to me, and he and I are very, very close. So, yes. Uh, so, Northern Nightmare, how did the F-14 compare in DAC with the F-16? DAC, I assume that's probably what uh, – like uh, ACM, I guess, probably. I'm not sure what DAC means. Uh, again, I want to drive the F-16 into kind of a hole where he cannot get his uh, energy and keep his energy up 
Me, I perform best around 300 knots. The F-16, his best quartering speed is around four and a quarter. So you go figure that out right there. He's four and a quarter, I'm 325. I'm going to be inside his turn. And I'm going to keep the pressure on him so he can't unload and start driving around getting his knots back because he has excellent energy addition availability in the airplane. And once I get him beat slow, I'll start driving the fight uphill and now getting the, the, the vertical fight going where anytime he starts trying to run from me, then I swap in, score on him, lock him up, and shoot him with a missile. Uh, get him down slow and then hopefully gun the guy. Uh, again, a Navy flown F-16 will not allow you to do that. He'll stay hard and fast out there. He'll uh, start driving the fight himself vertically and makes the two uh, eggshells get a little larger with each other. It makes it kind of hard to get to him and a uh, tough fight. Uh, again, always the F-16Ns are always harder to fight than what uh, the F-16As were in the Air Force style. Uh, let's see here. Would you be interested in trying out the soon-to-be-published F-40 career? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be a Zorch, uh, Scorch. Yeah, I, I'd be curious about that. My uh, number two son is involved with that a little bit. And uh, I'm kind of curious. I'm very impressed with the graphics that they're coming out with. Uh, awesome graphics. I can't tell a real airplane from uh, something else. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'd be curious. Uh, okay, George, what's your opinion of the RAF, Raphael? And the Typhoon. Uh, Royal Air Force. Oh, Royal Air Force? Okay. I'm asking my Raphael. Okay, Royal Air Okay, let's see. Did I lose it? Yes, you, you scroll. Well, this thing, this ain't so simply pumping. It goes right by. Hang on here, buddy. It's just a regular mouse. Huh? It's just a regular mouse. Right there, there's a question. George TSR2. Oh, right here. Okay, got you. What's your opinion on the uh, RAF and the Typhoon? Typhoon's been around for a long time. Uh, when I went over to War College in 1990, we visited uh, British Aerospace, and they were flying, just starting to fly the uh, Typhoon then with actually uh, GE uh, uh, 401 engines out of Hornets and until they got the uh, Rolls-Royce engines squared away. It's a very capable airplane, but, again, it's Delta Wing, and uh, I'm quite sure that uh, Super Hornets and well-flown Hornets probably do well against it, and uh, I would have no qualms going against it uh, and a guns only F-14 uh, against a uh, Typhoon. Uh, again, the Brits are excellent drivers. Some of my closest buddies and best fighter pilots are RAF guys, and uh, those, they're always a handful. They're, they're great guys, great drivers, all of them. Okay, everyone, Pete Pettigrew, I'm guessing you flew with him at some point. No, I, I never did. He was older than me. Uh, he's an old guy. Uh, I knew of him. I uh, knew his backseater, uh, Mike McCabe, who was just a stash instant with him when uh, Pettigrew got his MIG kill in VF-114 back in the day. Uh, I just don't love him. He's also an airline guy. He retired. All these guys uh, retired. I didn't really retire. They got out of the Navy with the airlines, and they flew reserve. So that's how I kind of knew Pete Pettigrew. He's a reserve guy and uh, airline-type guy. So that's how I kind of know him a little bit. He's probably more famous as an airline guy than he was a fighter guy. Okay, ZSD Scorch. I'm sure a lot of people would love to get an F-14 guy's impression of how close the sim came to real life. Uh, I assume. Statement on the question. Okay, well, all right. Uh, yeah. Right here. Yeah. Mike JF. Okay, Mike JF. Did you often work or fly exercise against uh, the British much? Uh, I remember one time. <clears throat> 
when I was at VF-43, we went against the RAF Sea uh, Harriers, and they were a lot of fun. But uh, a Harrier is not a hardcore ACM airplane, even though these guys had uh, great air-to-air radars. It's not supersonic. And uh, we'd go out there with a A4 Super Fox or an F-16N and pretty well have our way with them. But, again, the Brits are excellent drivers, excellent people to work with, fantastic uh, pilots. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just love working with the Brits. So they're the best. Okay, Arturo, uh, uh, what was your most complicated situation with a failure and how did you resolve it? Uh, probably the one I had the most was my second cruise in the Indian Ocean. We're out there in the Kitty Hawk during what they call a monsoon season, which is, uh, basically from like, uh, oh, April through about September where the sea states, uh, always, uh, the deck's moving about 30 feet plus or minus and the visibility is probably less than a half mile. That's daytime. And uh, I came in one night uh, in my Tomcat, and the deck was moving big time because you can always hear that with the LSOs where they're talking. And as I came in, I could see the deck had dropped below me. So I pulled my nose up a little bit to kind of set the hook a little better because I really wasn't crazy about going around in a bolter. And I actually hit tail hook first, which bounced up into my engine cell. And then the tail hook stuck in the engine cell, which I did not know. And I ended up boltering. I came around, uh, bolted three more times. Uh, finally, the LSOs are going like there's no sparks because every time you bolt, there's always sparks. And I came around, did uh, two emergency tanks. Got an A7 checked me over, said your engine, engine your uh, tail looks stuck in your engine cell, and it won't come down. I said, uh, yeah, okay, great. So I made like three more passes trying to get the hook to you know maybe bounce down. That wasn't the case. I take three more times. Uh, all they had available was uh, eight seven, so I can get gas wise is about fifteen hundred pounds, which wasn't very much. I was down about two thousand pounds. We're off the coast of uh, uh, India, and uh, there's no place to go. Working blue water ops, so they said, "Okay, you're going to go to Masira. It's too far to go to Diego Garcia, so you're going to go to Masira, and we're going to have an A six come up and tank you." So the A6 uh, was going to come up to me. He had an unsafe nose gear. They trapped him, pinned his nose gear, filled him up full of gas, and shot him off. And then he flew uh, below me. I joined on him with his gear down. And I did probably the first ever and the only ever uh, tanked off an A6, and he was dirty, meaning his gear was down. That was interesting because the basket was moving about 30 feet left and right. Of course, this is naturally at night, pitch black. I was down about 2,000 pounds of gas, and I managed to basically him or kind of corner the, the hose up against his right main mount, and I got in the basket the first time, took on uh, about 16,000 pounds of gas. He had me back out and cycled the hose, and then I plugged him again and got another 3,000 pounds more gas. And then from there, I flew off to Masira, which no one knew what the situation was. So I said, if you go to Masira and you can't get in there, Go over to Sea International. If you can't get in there, then uh, we're not sure what to do. So I went off, uh, did a bingo profile. They launched an A6, an E2, an S3 to, to be comm relay for me back to the ship. 
I was carrying uh, one Phoenix, two Sparrow, two Sidewinders, and a full gun. So I was armed uh, to the teeth, and uh, I flew off to Masira, having no idea what was going to happen. And I got about, uh, I was about 1,800 miles away from Masira. As I got within about 250 miles, I gave them a call on the radios on their tower frequency, and a good British voice came up and said, Roger, mate, uh, we're ready for you. Can't wait to get here. And I landed uh, there at Masira with uh, about 12,000 pounds of gas, which is way, way heavy, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to keep the gas. And I rolled off to the very end, turned off, shut down. Uh, I couldn't see anybody. They had lights shining in my face. And I came down, got out of the airplane, and set around a Brit who handed me uh, about a king-size uh, old Foster's beer right there at the very the very start. I, I was elated. I was overjoyed big time. It was a good deal. I'd been airborne uh, nine and a half hours, and I tanked uh, eight times. So I was a tired puppy dog. Next question here, was the F-14 retired too early? The answer was uh, yes. But again, politics. Uh, certain people in the Navy had convinced uh, the Navy that uh, by getting rid of the F-14 early, you can save money and buy more Hornets. So uh, that's what they did, and it went away. And, uh, you know, the best airplane ever was probably the F-14D, and, uh, you know, it went away to, to be on sticks and museums and backyards and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, F-14 was retired uh, way too early, and uh, again, politics controls everything. Uh, what are your thoughts on the F-14 becoming the multi-role Bombcat to partially replace the A-6E? It was the best platform. I mean, no, nobody else could carry four 2,000-pound LGBs but the Tomcats. And for a short while, uh, in the Indian Ocean, during the Desert Storm, uh, the Tomcat was the true strike fighter. Because Hornets, they couldn't carry uh, four 2,000-pounders. They probably could barely, barely carry two. And with us carrying the the FLIR pod out there on the uh, starboard station, uh, we could put that 2,000-pound LGB right in your hip pocket. So it was an excellent uh, bombing platform. Uh, technology needed to catch up with it. Uh, it did in the D, and it was an awesome airplane and uh, a great airplane to have and the first real true strike fighter. Uh, and uh, let's see here, F-14, good airframe for dropping bombs or mainly air-to-air -air tasks yet? Yeah, it was a good uh, good do everything, good strike fighter, so it's good. Yeah, excellent. Okay, uh, is it true that when having the Phoenix equipped, the F-14 would get really hot inside the cockpit due to the cooling of the Phoenix? That really wasn't the case. Uh, certain time periods in the Indian Ocean, uh, mostly during the monsoon season when it's about 100-plus degrees, uh, on the deck, uh, what we would do is we would not turn any systems on uh, in the cockpit for the meat, for the Phoenix, or for the Sparrow, even for the AUG-9. we turn on just enough to get our alignment, then we get airborne and let the uh, air kind of keep things cool, then turn stuff on. And uh, But oh, that, that's only because the Indian Ocean the way it was. Uh, later on, they got you know, a little better AUG-9 pumps and such in there. It wasn't a factor. And if you stop carrying Phoenix, it's not a factor. So uh, not really. It wasn't really hot inside the cockpit due to the cooling of the Phoenix. That was never never part of the deal. So uh, let's see. Here's somebody asking about uh, uh, do you like Minecraft? I have no idea what it is. Okay. Here. What's the fastest speed you have flown at 
and in what aircraft. Also, was it easy to get the F-14 supersonic? Oh, yeah. Uh, fast aircraft uh, was probably probably Tomcat. Uh, I had the A out about 2.3. Uh, I've taken the F-14 to 70,000 feet. I've taken the F-16 to 75,000 feet. Uh, I had the F-16 at uh, 2.0 plus. Uh, you're that high and that fast. It's like driving in your car, 60 miles an hour. It doesn't, doesn't seem like much to get near a cloud, and it gets pretty uh, pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah, I've been uh, been high and fast in those. And the F-14 has no problem. I mean, I've, I've done flybys the carrier, like 1.3 at like 100 feet, and the airplane's just accelerating. It just wants to go faster and faster and faster. And that's both with an A and a B. In fact, in some regards, the F-14A was faster because of the ram air effect of the TF-30s. Uh, it liked air, and the more air you could pump in there, the faster it got, the more thrust you went. So, Because the F-14A was a beast uh, down low, like below 10,000 feet. Okay, what was the peak G you pulled in the F-14? Well, when I was going through Top Gun, uh, at one time, uh, it required uh, 12 foot-pounds to move the stick in the Tomcat. So it, it was a pretty heavy stick. And as I was going through Top Gun, the uh, airframes guys had, had an airframe change to come through and change the stick load to about 8 pounds. Well, they didn't tell me that. And that day, I was out uh, on a Top Gun mission against uh, the school, and somebody called a shot on me. And I slapped on uh, 12 and a half Gs so fast, make your head swim. And the Rio and I basically kind of came up out of the cockpit floorboard and going like, whoa, what was that? And, of course, the guy gave me continued because there's a great, you know, atoll break, as they call them. That's when I came back and I asked, the, you know, what happened with the airframes. Oh, yeah, I've got to tell you, sir, uh, we changed the foot pounds in the Tomcat. And, uh, well, uh, you found out today, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I sure did. Wow. So, Twelve and a half in Tomcats, the most I pull there. I saw nine all the time in the F sixteen. Uh F fourteen, it, it likes G's. It, it can it can take them, you know. I know six and a half was the max, but I I routinely exceeded that when I'm fighting guys out there because uh, you have to sometimes. Okay, considering the huge thrust and wing loading advantage F fourteen B D had over the F sixteen N, which were stripped out for Navy. How would you have played to your streaks F-14B against F-16N? Well, like I said, I would uh, F-14A-B, because I've uh, fought F-16s and, and those, I would keep the, the fight tight. I wouldn't allow the F-16 to go two-circle. I'd go one circle against the F-16 and keep him loaded up so he can't accelerate. And then once I get him down slow, I start work, working the fight to the vertical. And uh, it might take me a couple of uh, loop X's to get that done because – if I get him loaded up uh, on his uh, G meter or his G in the F-16, he can't go vertical. He can't do a loop over the top because the airplane won't let him do it. So I keep him loaded up, start working the vertical, and then once that happens, uh, start separating the two vertical legs. And now I'm working above him, but which now he can't run away. And I'll be coming down nose on him, going to guns and getting a good, uh, a good gunshot to high to low. Hope that answers that. Uh, thanks to the earlier answer, Tom Cooper wrote a book with Iranian pilots claiming 130 F-14 kills versus Iraq. Iranian government says 45. Western F is 4 to 5. Which number do you think is best? I read a uh, one of those squadron signal books here maybe about 10 years ago, 
that was written by a guy that spent time with the Iranians over there. It's about the Iranian F-14s. I think probably 45 or a little better is probably closer to the real numbers. They, uh, the Iranians got pretty smart. They would take the F-14, run it in there basically and sniff, you know, not uh, having, the, having the AUG-9 off, run a couple, about four, about four Phantoms in front of them, lure the, the uh, Iraqis uh, in there, you know, chasing the Phantoms, and the Tomcats would turn the radars on and then drill them. And uh, that seemed to be a pretty good uh, tactic, of which the uh, Iraqis uh, got very aware of, because during the Desert Storm War, <coughs> excuse me, anytime you, your radar came on a uh, raw gear of a MiG-21 or 29 or whatever, they would immediately run away. And because of the 5,000 watts of the AUG-9, would just overpower their Serena gear and their airplane, they wouldn't know what direction we were coming from, so they immediately run back home and they'd go away. You might be 40 miles away, but your uh, your radar would light up their Serena gear and they'd run. So they had a very, very healthy respect uh, for the F-14 in, uh, in Iraq. Did you ever fly the F-4? No, I did not. Never flew the F-4. Uh, <coughs> I'm saying jumps, Bubba. So uh, we'll scroll up a little bit. Uh, right there. He's on the F-35. Okay. Okay. What is your views on the F-35 and its capabilities? Um, in my early airline days, uh, I had a pretty good uh, side job with Lockheed Martin, and I'd go down to Crystal City, where I live here in Washington, D.C., and I would fly the F-35 simulator. And I flew it from the early, early days, uh, just putting it together, to up until about two years ago. And, <coughs> excuse me, my personal opinion is it's a very, very capable airplane of which we need. Yeah, I know it's expensive, uh, but it can do things that the Super Hornet cannot even think about. And stealth is actually the way to go. And it's a typical new airplane that's got some growing pains. If you listen to the press, they're going to badmouth everything that, that comes across. Too expensive, too hard, too, uh, too broken. But that's basically the way all new airplanes start out. And if you ever talk to guys that have flown the airplane, they swear by it. And that's not a political view. That's because they, they like flying it. So I'm a big proponent of the F-35. In fact, my young son, who's 21 years old, goes off the Navy here this uh, this summer, and that's what he wants to fly himself when he goes through pilot training. So I'm very much for the, the F-35 myself. Okay. here. What kind of fighters should the Canadian force buy? I guess you guys got a bunch of Hornets, so I guess uh, you guys are in the Hornet business probably. So, you know, I know the F-35 is expensive. Uh, you guys seem to like the Hornets, so I guess probably stick with the Hornet and maybe go to the Super Hornet maybe. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, what is the purpose of pilot exchange programs with Air Force and Navy? Why trade Air Force to land on carriers? Who gets selected? Uh, when I was in the RAG, VF-101, which is the training evolution for uh, Navy guys and Tomcats. We had Air Force guys come through. Uh, there are always a lot more Air Force guys wanting to go to a Navy squadron than Navy guys to go to an Air Force squadron. When a Navy guy goes to, say, an F-15 or F-16 squadron, that pretty well screws him career-wise because he gets a one-of-one fitness support, which compared down the road to his contemporaries and his year group, he looks pretty bad. And unless someone's in there to brief that for the board, 
he'll get overlooked and get bypassed. Air Force going to Navy, they have a different system. It doesn't bother them. And the only thing there is that a lot of times the Air Force guys don't like going to the boat, and some of them won't go to the boat. If they won't go to the boat, they, they don't go any further with their squadron and go anywhere, so they get left. Um, we had uh, an Air Force exchange guy in the RAG, VF-101 with me. Great guy, really good guy, but he had no interest to go to the boat. He's an F-15 guy. He said, I'm not going to the ship. He never understood how to fly angle attack, uh, which is you live and die by in the F-14 or any airplane, actually. So he never went to the ship. But we had RAF guys that uh, were awesome ball flyers and went to the ship. We had several other uh, Air Force guys. One of them, Norm Sype, who wanted to be a three-star, awesome driver. He went to VF-41, CQ, day and night. A lot of times the Air Force guys will can do okay daytime, but nighttime pretty well separates the uh, the rock stars and the groupies, and the Air Force guys will be day-only guys. And that's not too cool. So, uh, you know, it all, all kind of depends what the guy's interested in doing and uh, how well he does. Uh, can you speak to pilot Rio protocols a bit? I've always wondered if there's protocol to say there's a disagreement about tactics mid-combat. Does pilot have final say? No, it's kind of a joint thing between the two of you. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's, it's experience level. You know, you should always put an experienced pilot with a, a youngster in the back seat, an experienced Rio with a youngster in the front seat, and hopefully over time that uh, they'll, they'll kind of meld those, uh, you know, uh, abilities together a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, it's uh, I, I, my, my first cruise I flew with a guy that had Buku Vietnam time. He'd been shot at by MiGs and chased MiGs the whole nine yards, so he was very combat experienced. Uh, so it was kind of a growing pain with him because I was just learning. I was just a puppy dog and uh, I listened to him a whole lot sometimes to the detriment, but a lot of times it was good and I learned. And then when he came back through the rag, when I was an instructor about 10 years later, Hey, you had to listen to me. I told him several times to ride in the back seat and shut up. So, uh, you know, it works, it works out. And, uh, there's uh, the protocol, all rank goes away in the cockpit. You know, if you can't, you sit up there, so yes or no, sir, in the cockpit, not, not going to survive. So you got to listen both ways and let, let the information flow both ways and, and learn from each other. And you're never too old to learn. Always remember that. Uh, let's see. Uh, easiest adversary you fly against the Trappist, Snodgrass, Capablo. I know Hoser. Hoser is a great guy. I love him. I've known him forever. He kind of grew into a legend in his own mind a little bit. Uh, Capablo never really was an adversary driver. He was a phantom guy with the VX4. I know him very well. Um, you know, as I say, he's an okay stick. You know, I, I don't really know. Snort, Snodgrass, I know very, very well. Reputation uh, far exceeds uh, everything out there. He's probably one of the most gifted drivers in the world. But would I want my son to grow up and be like him? The answer is no. That's all I'll say. Did you fly with FLIR pods in the aggressor role? FLIR pods have been used up against F-22, F-3 right now. I mean, they never flew with any FLIR pods. Uh, they started later on putting jamming pods on some of the adversary stuff to go out against uh, you know, F-22 and F-35. But, you know, they have the ability to just switch frequencies, and so whatever you're jamming, they can jump around it. 
or they can go in there and go sniff and uh, they'll see no jamming. So a lot of stuff like that's pretty much uh, nebulous to them. So they work out real well. Okay, how would you compare the Hornet to the F-14A being a dogfight? Uh, uh, dogfight in a horizontal or vertical, who was superior? Well, I can tell you right now, Tomcat's superior in the vertical fight, uh, hands down. Energy addition rate in the Tomcat is uh, superior to both uh, a Legacy Hornet and a, and a uh, uh, Super Hornet. Uh, those guys would, would want to get you slow in a real tight fight and let their digital flight controls take over and try to point their nose at you. The way you'd beat them is in the ROE by going like, okay, let's go guns only, boys. And now that takes all that stuff away because now he can get slow all he wants. But if I'm working above him and coming down high to low on him, he didn't have the ability to point at me all the time. If I'm giving him Category 4 missiles where he can always point at me, and no matter what airspeed he is, he's going to always win because he can basically slow down faster and park and point his nose at me. So it all depends what you're carrying-wise uh, on the ROE, depending kind of what you're going to fight. Uh, are you completely incorrect? No, okay. we're having a conversation with each other. Back. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, what do you fight? This one is this one here, Freckle Puny. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Given the RAF uh, could have gone with the F-14 in the 1980s, would it have been a better buy than the Tornado F-3? Yeah, it probably would have been, but uh, very, very expensive. The Brits didn't have the cash, the money, and, uh, you know, uh, it's so funny. I remember that uh, my two RAF buddies, Pete Legg and Stu Black, they both got a 1,000 hours in the Tomcat when, uh, with me and VF-101. They go back to uh, Coningsby to be instructors on the very first uh, tornado rag there. And meanwhile, they're going through the school to fly the tornado. And the Brits, the uh, British Aerospace is telling them that, well, you know, you got to move the wings uh, manually. And so Pete and Stewie go, well, how come you can't design them to be auto? Well, that's incapable. You, you can't do that. No airplane has that. And they go, well, the F-14 does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. So they had to prove to their own people the F-14 had auto wing sweep due to CADC. And once again, the Brits were kind of behind the barn there in that deal and had to use the wings manually. So, you know, they were, they were still thinking like 1960s technology vice where the F-14 was. So they couldn't afford to buy the F-14 anyway. Okay. Uh, it's a lot about the pilot and how well they... No, that's not a question. Next one down. Sorry. Down there. What is the feel of the first carrier landing? Uh, okay. First feel of the first carrier landing is across an orgasm and a car wreck. If you are a geek or nerd, don't understand the first part of that. Then I guess we're kind of lost in the conversation, but uh, it's pretty uh, dramatic. Uh, my first trap, uh, when I went through in 1973... In the T2 and basic jets, uh, the fuel crunch was on, so nobody CQ'd. Uh, then uh, it came to advance in the A4, and they had us right out in the back seat with some other jabroni in the front to get our first trap and cap. This guy trapped, and I was all over the back seat. Uh, my head bounced off the dash. Uh, my knees hit the dash. I'm going like, holy sheep shit, what just happened? And then about 15 minutes later, we go off the front end in the cat shot. I blacked out in the cat shot. 
Woke up past about 500 feet with the guy asking me, hey, how'd you like that? And I go like, holy tamale, I got to go do this. Went back to Beeville. We landed. And one hour later, I was back out there myself doing it myself. So, you know, it comes time to put on the big boy pants. So uh, you go do it. So it's just pretty, uh, pretty dramatic. Let's uh, see. Is there a plane? Let me just go. Scroll up. Scroll up a little bit. Scroll up a little more. I'm trying to. One more. There. Right here. Steve Lehman. Okay. Is there a plane that you would. Uh, above that. Yes, by Costin. Oh, loving, loving your answers. Okie, okay, can I ask how you got Well, I, it's real simple there, pal. My call sign, Okie. Uh, I'm from Oklahoma. And I'm not from Muskogee, so don't relate that to the song. But uh, I'm from Oklahoma, and that just kind of, you know, my first day, and I got in a fire squadron. Hey, uh, you're Okie, as far as it went right there. So usually your call signs are not too uh, glamorous. It's not like they make out on TV or other kind of bullshit crap. It's usually something you're kind of embarrassed about. But, uh, you know, hey, you live with it, you move on and uh, do your thing. It's gotten a lot more PC now, to coin that phrase. But back in my day, it wasn't real PC. I had guys that uh, puke, uh, suck. I won't tell you what his last name was. Uh, other stuff kind of go along there. So, you know, it's still, that's how I got mine anyway. Is there a plane that you would have liked to fly other than the ones you did? Eh, not really. I like flying what I flew. I mean, I was very fortunate, very happy. And, uh, you know, it's like going to a, a dance and you got a pretty hot chick on your in your arm over here. If you see something else you want, uh, you go to it. But I never felt that way. I always felt I had the best-looking date in the whole town, and I didn't feel like uh, flying anything else. So, yeah, not really. What was it like landing a carrier in the dark uh, for the first time? Well, that's uh, – I, I, I basically said before going to the carrier – it's like the orgasm in a car wreck, but uh, a night uh, the first time is strictly a car wreck. Uh, you're out there; it's pitch black. All you you look out three miles in front of you for the ship. You don't see anything because if you're looking too early, you're not going to see anything. It's going to screw you up. Uh, it's all instruments all the way down to basically three quarters of a mile. Call the ball, and even then, you're still on the instruments. And it takes mental discipline, mental discipline to keep doing this stuff. And you keep flying the ball away to touchdown, and the landing should be a surprise for you, one way or the other. So uh, it takes a mental toughness <coughs> to fly around the ship, especially fly around at night. And nighttime is where, as I said before, the uh, the rock stars and the groupies are separated big time. Here, I'm going to get you a glass of water, though. Okay. Did you ever get to fly any classic aircraft, warbirds, not? I've got uh, – I don't have probably 50 hours of prop time, so I'm uh, I'm really a rookie when it comes to that kind of stuff. I wish I did, but I don't. Okay, which fighter was your favorite of all the ones you flew and did DACT in? Well, I tell you, the F-14 was a blast. I liked it. Uh, precision. Uh, you, had to, you had to fly smart. You had to fly really uh, know the numbers. I also enjoyed the F-16 because basically – um, uh, I was very fortunate the way I flew it. It was unbeatable. I mean, you know, I, I flew a smart airplane and I knew what the other guy was going to do. You've got to know your threat. If you don't know what he's capable of doing, then you could be at there waste your time. So, you know, you just don't show up to gunfight and not have any idea what the other guy's bringing with him. You know, so I go with uh, an F-15 or F-16 or, or whatever out there, you know, that fight is basically determined in the brief with the ROE. 
of uh, you know what you're going to use out there. If he's going to go Cat Four, Cat Four, my whole mindset is changed as far as missiles and stuff go because I know that he can point at me at any time. So I'm going to basically kind of fight the same way to point at him. That's why basically you go out there and give the guy maybe two or three engagements of uh, you know normal missile stuff. The last one's kind of a go for it, fangs out, guns only. And guns only is where you put the who into it, and you decide at that point there kind of who who gets to go home uh, in the break and who goes home in a straight end. Uh, let's see here. How would NATO do in a fight with the Russians? Boy, I don't know. I, I, the French are good drivers. The Brits are good. The Germans are good. You know, the Russians, I think they, they, they beat their chest pretty well. They make it sound like they're 10 feet tall, but I think the first day our command and control would uh, would uh, take them down. They, they, don't, they don't have – they're not real good at command and control if they're any good at all. Uh, they may fly some pretty neat airplanes that do some pretty wowing stuff in an air show, but those are all tactically insignificant against a threat. So uh, I think they would uh, they'd be probably surprised themselves that a lot of times Ivan and Igor probably wouldn't be coming home. What was the funniest nickname someone earned? And like I said before, we had one guy in the squadron, uh, his name was Suck. His last name was Cock. Uh, let's see here. Uh, another guy uh, was Puke. I can tell you basically how he got that. Uh, you know, he tends to get drunk and then puke every place. Uh, let's see else here. Oh, we had another guy, the squadron Brick, because he was part of the the uh, uh, intake air intake through the mouth IQ ratio. If you breathe through your mouth, you're probably pretty low IQ. And in Brick's case, he basically was uh, using a snorkel. So, yeah, that's some of them right there at the top of my head. Uh, concur with your snort comments. Great stories. <laughs> You're still there, Phil. Sorry, buddy. Let's <laughs> uh, see so here. Did you discuss diversity training and mission briefs? That's highly important these days. Uh, is that like, like talking about lactating females and menstrual periods? Other than that, I'm not sure. Let's go back down there. Oh, yeah. Uh, who else? Where else? Louis, Louis Ferrer right there. Okay, okay. During in-flight refueling, can you activate autopilot to keep you level and tap the stick to fine-tune side to side, up, down, or is it strictly manual? If you uh, use your autopilot to try to tank, you'll immediately own the ass end of the tanker. That's all done by manual, no shit, fine-tune. Uh, uh, that's the only way you can do it. Uh, taking off a basket of the take-up reel is actually not too bad. But you use the uh, what I call the Iron Maiden uh, KC-135. Uh, it, it's, that's why I call it the Iron Maiden because more than one guy has ripped the, ripped the basket off, gone down his intake, cracked his canopy, cracked the radome. It's, uh, it's not real easy, especially in turbulence air. But I've taken 135s at uh, 30,000 feet. I've taken A6s at 35,000 feet. I've tanked guys down at a thousand feet. Sometimes uh, you don't have a choice where you got to get the gas because you're an extremist yourself. So you do the best you can. If you're having problems, you just you get you get good in the process. It's a lot of OJT. Uh, Phil's still there. Glad you're still there. Nasty. Uh, let's see here. 
did you ever have private TF30 misbehave on you? Sorry if it's rigged. Uh, I, yeah, I did, but I, as I said before, the TF30, every, every compression stall I had, I caused myself, meaning that uh, I was on a gun's defense, and I'd slap on probably seven and a half Gs and a rolling, twisting you know, left bank, and then bottom rudder roll inverted, pitch straight, 90 degrees nose down. Guess what? I would get a needle, 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 needle in my headset where I stalled the motor. I did that myself. Was it a reason for me to immediately go, holy shit, and jump out of the airplane? No. You go through your procedures and your training, pull the edges out of, out of burner back to, uh, to mill, let it clear itself, and you're back in there again. I mean, you know, it's just what you did. I never believed uh, to uh, let my engines be the reason I lost something. Uh, later on in life, when I'd go out to OAG, which are operational, uh, see, operate OAG design stuff for the F-14, I kind of switched and went from getting engines to give me better software, give me better radar, give me better raw gear, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't convince the engines were, I mean, they were a problem, because, but you had shitty guys flying shitty airplanes, and Nasty will tell you that, and, uh, you know, I was more in favor of getting rid of the shitty guys, you know, hey, you can't hack it, there's a door, the world needs ditch diggers, we need guys to sell shoes. But uh, the bleeding heart people said, no, 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 we need digital flight controls and need the bigger engines. And so that's why you got the engines. And, you know, we still have the same old radar, the same old raw gear that, you know, it's pretty unsettling when you're fighting F-15 out there and the fight starts with him 90, 90 degrees to go in your wing line because your Rio couldn't find him. That was very, very frustrating. I did not like that. Uh, so that's kind of my, my take on the TF-30s there, basically. Let's see here. Uh, why was the Tomcat so good in a vertical fight? Was it thrust or great wing loading? It actually is both. I mean, even the A, even the A, uh, as you're getting the aircraft, uh, you know, in a, in a hard turn, and you make out that turn to go vertical, you unload the aircraft, you go right over to your angle attack, and you pull no more than 12 units A away through the vertical. And once you got it vertical, how do you know you're vertical? You look at the left side and see the earth 90 degrees to you. I'm vertical, and I unload the airplane and watch the altimeter spin. And once I saw myself going down below 150 knots, I go back to the AOA again and start pulling over the top to make sure I don't exceed 15 in a single attack. Anything over that, I'm uh, basically in Buffett, and I'm not getting my most efficient turn in the airplane in the vertical. And that's how the airplane was very good in the vertical compared to other stuff out there. So. That's the best we can do it. What do you think about China's new line of jet fighters and its radar missile systems versus U.S. NATO? Again, you've got to realize that the uh, CHICOMs are beating their chest. They make it sound like they're 10 feet tall. Uh, no one's, they haven't been involved in anything. Uh, we've not seen them in action doing anything. You know, so you know, they're, they're pretty bad on paper, but Again, I'd be uh, curious to see if they can put their money where their mouth is. That's just my, my, my rough guess on it right there. The Russians we've seen, because we've seen them across the fence over in uh, East Germany. We've seen them in Syria. We've seen them basically, uh, you know, in, in Korea and stuff. We've seen how they train by the people they fly with and train. But the uh, CHICOMs, uh, you don't really know. Don't really know. Okay, what is the most G-force you've ever experienced? I said before, 12 and a half, and the Tomcat once. 
see here, uh, Steve Lehman as per chief engineer, Mike, whoever, whoever, <coughs> engineer, CEO, everything was so good and vertical, and they had an issue because of the high, very high lift rag ratio, only 44 pounds square foot wing line. I have no idea. I'm not a numbers guy. Don't know. Don't care. Uh, what was your max sustainable G uh, in the F-14, say, at sea level or 15,000 feet? Well, legal-wise, six and a half, but I... You know, I, uh, you know, I'm sorry you caught me. I, uh, I violated that numerous occasions, and I'm still here to uh, to uh, testify. And the F-14 I flew, uh, typical Grumman Ironworks, it wasn't bothered. Uh, what's your favorite World War II airplane? I gotta say, probably the F-8F Bearcat. I didn't, I've never flown it. I'd love to. I've seen it flown a couple times. Uh, awesome airplane, and I think basically. Uh, you know, it's probably unbeatable in the air. Okay, how did you compensate the F-14's adverse yaw and adverse roll? Well, I didn't really uh, see it as a, as a problem. I mean, uh, you know, you never fought the airplane unless you had both stab op and stab out working because the airplane and the designers of Grumman knew that yaw in the airplane was a big deal. You've got both engines very, very wide apart. If you lose one, you need compensation to help drive the airplane so you don't lose it. That's why you had a yaw stab out and yaw stab op, two SAS systems to control the yaw in the airplane. The roll, eh. In fact, uh, when I was going through Top Gun, uh, uh, part of the ACM uh, checklist was turn your roll SAS off. Well, about my second hop, uh, one of the guys grabbed me and says, hey, are you turning your roll SAS off? And I said, yeah, I saw part of the ACM checklist. He said, don't. Why decrease your roll rate on an airplane that rolls crappy already? Leave it on and don't be a hamburger. And that's what I did. So I never turned my roll sass off. So uh, I don't find having a slow roll rate that big a deal. I mean, roll rate, you know, if you do things unloaded, because I can go out there right now and I'll beat you in a rolling scissors in the airplane because I know how to roll my airplane better than you. You know, I can do it unloaded. Uh that's the answer to that one there, basically. Let's see. Would thrust vectoring have been worth God damn it, been worth the extra weight and complexity for the F-14 or the F-16, for that matter? Probably not because the weight added probably really wouldn't have increased it that much, uh, uh, you know, such. So I, I don't think uh, technology-wise wasn't quite there yet for that. Probably, so probably not. Uh, what do you like to do in your free time? Well, I did 25 years in the Navy. I made uh, seven cruises. Uh, I retired. I went to the airlines. And the airlines, uh, you're a junior until about your 20th year. Well, I retired from the airlines at age 65, about my 19th year. So I worked every weekend and every holiday for those 19 years. So what I do now is I do nothing. I'm home here for my third Thanksgiving in a row off. Before that, I had worked every single Thanksgiving for the last 18 or 19. I'm taking my kids to Thanksgiving tomorrow, my 21-year-old, my 17-year-old, for the first time in about 15 years. So that's what I do. I try to spend time with my kids when I can. Other than that, I don't do much. Uh, let's see here. Louis Rao, I had my first flight with Oki and VF-101 in 87. Wow. And we're still friends? Maybe we're not friends. I don't know. Uh, I don't, don't remember you, buddy. You skipped a few, Dad. No, actually, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yeah, free time. Oh, I got it. Oh, crap. I thought you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
hopefully, Louie, you had a good time, buddy. Where, 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 where'd you go, pal? What squatter? I'll get that later, probably. Okay, Roger uh, Majan there. Since stripped out Navy F-16M was simulating MiG-29s, what was F-14ABD strength in a real fight against MiG-29? 1991, there was such exercise F-14 against Luftwaffe MiG-29. Yeah, I read that, and it was an uh, Air Force guy flew it. He was extremely arrogant. Uh, you know, uh, I'd like to put him against myself or somebody else, high-time F-14 guy, known good driver. He wouldn't be quite so arrogant. Uh, you got to realize your average fleet guy, the most competent time you are when you deploy uh, uh, ACM wise is the day you leave on cruise. Each day that you're on cruise, because you don't do ACM almost at all anymore after that, you get pretty lousy at it. So when you're on cruise and you have some beach debt and you're going to go up someplace and fight, uh, Joe Gigolo, Air Force guy, flying a MiG-29, who has flown out of that base for probably three years. In that case, he had. And uh, flying against fleet uh, F-14s, dragging around Phoenix rails and drop tanks. Guess what? I can tell you what's going to happen. He's going to clean their clock because the guys themselves aren't real good anyway. I'm sorry. So put Mr. MiG-29 guy against a high-time driver, either an A or a B, I'm certain that he would have a different uh, outtake on that. So I, I'd fight the MiG-29 in a tight fight. I wouldn't let him get, uh, you know, run around loose on me out there, and i start driving the fight vertical and keep him loaded up and to make sure he doesn't fly his airplane efficiently because most of the time, nights of the time, guys don't fly their airplane efficiently. They don't know how to do that. Were you brief on diversity before you flew so you didn't insult the minorities before you blew their shit away? I never flew any. I don't know what. What's a minority? I have no idea. I have no clue. You know, sorry. Uh, how did the pilots get along with aircraft mechanics during your service in the Navy? You know, uh, it's with respect. I mean, the Navy is. Uh, they should call you two things: yes, sir, or your rank. Uh, in the same way with the enlisted guys, they're they're great guys. I was maintenance officer in two squadrons: uh, VF thirty one for two years and VF one hundred and one for two years. Uh, I had a thousand list of guys working for me in VF 101. I loved them all, but they all were, you know, different. Uh, you, you got guys that uh, are high school dropouts you got to work with. You got to train them. You got guys that uh, are smarter than you and whatever else. But it takes a team working together, but everybody has to kind of know their place. And uh, so, you know, if a guy's not doing his job, I'm real simple to work for. If you do your job, we're going to get along fine. If you're not doing your job, we're going to have a problem. And guess who's going to win that one? Not going to be him. It's going to be me. Okay, most important thing for a Top Gun instructor, shit out ACM guy or greatest teacher? Uh, I'd say probably greatest teacher. If you can go out there and you kick the crap out of somebody and you can't come back and explain to them how you did it, what good are you? Seriously. So a guy that's a good teacher can go out there, and even though he may spend – he didn't have to go out there and, and kick the crap out of the guy. I mean, the, 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 the job of a Top Gun guy is to go out there and teach that guy how to beat him. And so if the, the student is beating him, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And if he comes back and he is an excellent debriefer and teacher, then he's doing his job as he should be. Anytime you have a senior guy 
or the guy with most experience is going out there, clean the clock out of some young guy. The young guy learns nothing. He learns absolutely nothing on that. You should always go out there with the intent to give the young guy a little bit of leg, let him chase you around a little bit. You know, don't fight in zone five. Fight maybe in, in, in mid-burner and, and take a you know less capable airplane and, and fight him and then let him make his mistakes or maybe he doesn't make mistakes. You know, you teach him. You kind of give him a little, you know, like feed, give the dog a bone, basically. So, you know, that's, that's what a good good uh, instructor does. He teaches the guy. Uh, do you figure the F-18 can hold a candle to the Tomcat Combat and Combat Air Patrol? Whoops. God damn it. Sorry. Uh, protecting the carrier and just, well, no, the, the Hornet can't. It didn't have the legs. I mean, Tomcat can go out there and you take on two tanks, carry a Phoenix and do the Victor Logic thing that somebody talked about, and you can make it work. The Hornet, uh, he's not happy unless he's at 40,000 feet. Uh, he can't carry the loading. He doesn't carry the Phoenix. I mean, I'm not saying the Phoenix is the greatest thing right now, but back in its day, with Victor Logic to protect the carrier, it was the thing. It was a cat's meow. So F-18 can't even compare to a Tomcat when it comes to you know, loitering and flying around and, and doing the vector logic thing and, and, and protecting the high value assets. Okay, Jack has the female naval aviators I knew didn't make a big deal about what non PC terms used in the middle of a dogfight. They care way more about flight discipline or OB. Well, they, they should. I mean, again, once you get in the air, you know, I don't know if she's got breast or the guy's got a hairy chest. You know, I don't know. I don't care. And you're totally right. They should be that way. And they should be that way in the debrief also. You know, if they're waving their uh, gender around your face, then they've got a problem. And uh, that's all I'll say on that one there. Like that. <laughs> uh, VS-74. Okay, so you're over there with, uh, I think, what, Frog Burgess, uh, LaRue. Frog Burgess, uh, Mike Rio, Sean Hammerhand, uh, all those guys. I, yeah, I, I talk to those guys all the time still. Great guys. I'm trying to. This ain't so sensitive, Bubba. Well, no, I knew this. It just jumps up there. Do the F-14 have any ACM radar modes, i.e. boresight, ripple scan? Could the pilot stuck? It sure did. We had PLM, which is pilot lock-on mode. We had VSL. Uh, the PLM was the PD mode, so you could hit that. And uh, you'd actually see the diamond sweep across your uh, HUD up there back and forth in a scan, and it would lock, any, lock anything up coming in head on. The VSL was a 15 degrees below the nose to 65 degrees nose up, and that was a pulse mode. It also went uh, 20 degrees above the nose to 65 degrees below the nose, and that was a 10-degree uh, width uh, radar beam on the nose. So uh, you could roll the airplane, go, give me, ver- give me, give me VSL high, VSL low, and the Rio actually had in the back seat had a little uh, extender on it. He hit that with his left hand, and that would lock the guy up, which meant at that point you can now shoot a sparrow and kill the guy. So, yeah, that's – and, and then we had boresight mode also. That Basically, we hit the little button up there on the dash next to me, and it would scan around the ADL armadata line, and that would give me a boresight uh, lock as well as a seam lock with a sidewinder. Uh, 
Okay, do you think the new emails on the new four class is the way forward or something that could cost a four class in combat is if it went down? Uh, you know, what little I know about it, it works, but I do know this, that uh, they're going to make it work. You know why? Because they've already got the, the Ford already configured birthing-wise for the number of people they need to operate the emails. They need to, to, to put cat steam cats on there and normal resting gear. They need about an additional 500 people on there. Well, guess what? They didn't make the birthing compartments for that. So they, they're, 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 they're going to make it work. And they have no choice but to make it work. And uh, so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, did they screw up? You know, I don't know yet. I've had friends of mine that worked on but I haven't talked to them in quite a while. I understand it works pretty well. But, uh, you know, uh, no one's died yet because of it. We'll see what happens. So, you know, I, that's the best I can probably tell you. But but they, they cannot uh, they cannot uh, switch to steam cats and normal resting gear because they've got uh, it would take them three years to reconfigure the ship. And they will not do that. Uh, zigzag ground zero, good, bad, or worthless. Uh, okay, can I remember ECM chaff, flares versus SAM, air to air weapon. Uh, you carry that stuff, depending on what kind of source air you're going against. It may depend whether they work or not. Uh, I'm not up to speed on all the latest stuff. I would kind of probably bet that the chaff and flares probably doesn't work, but I don't know. Uh, all the service there stuff now is so sophisticated that, uh, you know, I'd be kind of curious about it. Back in my day, SA, SA2, SA3, SA5, uh, chef and flares worked. Uh, problem is you, you, you couldn't carry enough. Uh, I know going through the echo range when I was at gun school, uh, we'd eat up uh, two boxes making one run the echo range going against SA2s and GISH 23s and GISH 55s. And we'd be successful. We would uh, keep them from shooting us down, but then once we got through there, we'd be out of, we'd be out of slits. No more flares and no more chaff. So that's always going to be a problem anyway. Nobody's going to be able to carry enough. What were things that you had to be careful when flying the F-14, talking about the flight envelope? And, you know, just, just know the envelope where it was. Know that when you're high angle attack, slower speed, you're not going to slam it out, take it out of burner and slam it to idle. That's a pretty much a dumb move. Guaranteed to get you a... Uh, Engine stall uh, big time. So, but you would need to do that anyway because every time you're flying the F-14A, you never have enough thrust, so your left arm's locked in burner. But at times when you need to take it out of burner, you bring both of them smoothly back to military and leave them there. And that's really about it. You know, you didn't do a lot of cross control stuff except slow airspeed. If you're going to cross control in the airplane at anything above about 200 knots, you're a bozo. You ought to wear a red nose and a uh, clown suit. Because it's doing nothing for you. Nothing. <clears throat> okay, what position, uh, situation on A7 or A6 for you filling F-14, and could they top you off? Uh, the F-A7 couldn't because it couldn't carry enough. The A6 could, and they would be – they had the A7s, A6s at various tanker altitudes if they had them available. But uh, a lot of times we started carrying tanks. There was no tanker fuel, so they – on that event, you'd call up, hey, what's, what's tanker fuel? Eh, no gas. So you spend the uh, one plus 45 cycle, uh, even even before we had the drop tanks carrying around, spend those out there, max airspeed be 200 knots. You drive the, you fly the whole 
whole hour and 45 minutes, really more like two hours and about 20 minutes, two and a half hours, no gas, driving around 200 knots. But that's what you did. That's the cool part about flying fighters, you know, sometimes. Uh, let's see here. What was life aboard the carrier like, including the flying routine? Eh, something you kind of get into. You, you, you know, you, you can go for days and never see daylight because all your flights are at night. <coughs> you got to remember that you're only a thousand feet away from your job. So it's not like all you do is fly, eat, and sleep. You don't because uh, Navy wise, you got a job. And if you don't do your job, you're going to read about it. That makes sense to you. So, uh, yeah, you come in for your night trap, your knees are knocking, uh, you know, your hands are shaking, get your cup of coffee. Uh, we're going to have mid rats. It's midnight, one o'clock. And guess what? I got to do officer fit reps. Holy shit. I'm up all night long and I got a nine o'clock brief. That's life in the carrier, you know? So, uh, you, you can work, you work the candle at both ends sometimes. What squadrons did you fly with the F-14? I went through the RAG, uh, VF-124 Miramar. I made three cruises in VF-51. Uh, when they transitioned from Phantoms to Tomcats, I was one of the first, uh, first of three Nuggets, new guys that came uh, to the squadron straight to Tomcats. I didn't fly the Phantom. And then from there, uh, I made three cruises. I went to VF-101 Oceana as an instructor in the RAG. And then from there, I went to VF-31 my department head tour, I made uh, three cruises there, and then I went back to the RAG as the maintenance officer and XO for three years uh, back in VF-101. So I've got uh, a lot of time to experience in the community in both coasts I know pretty well. Not many guys uh, that are worth a shit that I don't know about. The rest of the guys, I don't really care. Uh, is there a big difference between training flight maneuvers and actual combat maneuvering? Do you fly more after field and combat, or do you think flight maneuvers like in training? Well, the old saying goes, you're the same. You fight like you train, and you train like you fight. Those are all the same. If I'm given an airplane, and uh, I have no adversary to go fly against, and I've been off for a while, say two weeks, seven days, I'm going to take that airplane out, and I'm going to go up and go down to some area and do zero airspeed recoveries, to get my confidence in the airplane back and control the aircraft and departing it. Then I'm going to sit there and do 250 knot loops to get the feel of the aircraft back. And then I'm going to come back and go back in the GCA box pattern to get my IFR feel of flying the aircraft back. If I do a lot of stuff there, zero speed recoveries, and I do uh, some 250, 200 knot loops in the, in the, in the Tomcat, uh, that's the same kind of stuff you're going to do in combat as far as flying yourself in the extreme at the brink of the envelope of the aircraft itself. So that's what I would do. Did you ever meet a constant peg MIG on a Top Gun debt sortie, OPSEC permitting? If so, how did it go? Yes, I actually had uh, three different attachments. Uh, as a Top Gun, went up there quite a bit. Uh, I, I flew against the MIG-17 or the A-4. I flew against the MIG-21 or the F-5. Uh, F-5, uh, I did okay with. The MiG-17 crawled in my hip pocket and lived there. I flew against a guy named Keith Sheen, who was an F-14 guy, a uh, max combat time in Phantoms and Nam. I got to know very, very well. He was CO of VF-11 and then CO of VF-124 at Miramar. A great guy. Sheik is his call sign. And he was a master in the MiG-17. He was awesome. Uh, if you... Crawled in the phone booth with the MiG-17, he was going to have your ass. 
I later later on uh, learned how to fly the Tomcat better, and I went out there and I spanked somebody else in the in the uh, in the MiG seventeen. I always did pretty well in the in the MiG twenty one. Uh, fought against a guy named Blaze, who's now Southwest, and he and I got in a rolling scissors, which basically you never want to get into with a MiG twenty one. But again, I demonstrated to him that my rolling uh, technique in the Tomcat was uh, pretty damn good, and we fought each other to a draw never getting any more than probably maybe 200 feet apart the entire time. I'd be above him at 200 feet. He'd be above me at 200 feet. That went on for probably about eh, 12,000 pounds of gas. He had to fly away. I had to fly away. Uh, I fought the MiG-23, uh, the F-4, they call it. Uh, it was a piece of cake. You saw it, you beat it. Uh, you couldn't outrun it, though. I guarantee you that. If he wanted to run away from you, he was going to run away from you. you know, they had Max, uh, Max Q on it. A uh, big Tomansky engine there, and he was gone. So, yeah, yes to your answer, a lot. I knew a lot of guys that flew him out there also. Let's see here. Uh, I've heard of 14 pilots using off-the-shelf police speed gun detectors as raw. Any truth? Well, we didn't use off-the-shelf. We, we, we used nav air stuff. It came off the shelf. After my first cruise, and we were up in Iran, the Iranians had uh, IHOC. They still have IHOC. <clears throat> and nothing we had in our system would show an IHOC that would go active on you. So we came back off the cruise. And some guy got the wild idea, well, hey, we'll get these uh, fuzz busters and put them on the airplane. Well, we put them on our airplane, went over to Yuma, myself and a guy named John Nathman, went over to Yuma, two of us, and we dueled a IHOC site for about uh, an hour and realized that it would show up and we'd see it, that we'd be dead. And no matter what we did against the IHOC site with our raw gear, with the fuzz buster, we called them, they were mounted on both sides of the glare shield up on the dash. All it really kind of did was kind of, you know, again, block your view a little bit. That's about all they were worth for. Uh, anytime that you'd come in behind a mountain or a hill or whatever and you'd be clear, as soon as you became clear on the other side of the hill, the IHOC site would go active and it could shoot you. So uh, we gave the Iranians a pretty damn good system, which I'm quite sure they've compromised now with the Russians. Uh, let's see here. How, uh, how slow was the F-14 HUD and was the HUD any use for land care? The F-14 HUD was, uh, was great air-to-air. Uh, it was a piece of junk for carrier, CQ, for landing. The F-14D HUD, because it got smart, was an excellent HUD used for carrier work. So the F-14D had an awesome HUD to be used aboard the carrier, but uh, the F-14A, the B HUD, was a dog squeeze. It, you know, it, it wasn't worth anything. So when I came aboard the ship, I turned my HUD off. I didn't need it. didn't want it. It got in my way. I know you're proud of the Tomcat driver, but any opinions of the A-7 Corsair yeah, okay. Those guys that flew the airplane, they loved it. Uh, you got to realize anybody that flew an A7 Corsair or any kind of attack puke is a frustrated fighter pilot. He wanted to be a fighter pilot, but his mom and dad knew each other, so he was destined to be an attack puke. But the airplane is a great airplane. Uh, those guys can put bombs anywhere. The last time I looked, the earth doesn't move. So bombing is not nearly as hard as flying a good ACM airplane. That's why the A7 guys were all so happy to go F-18s. 
So uh, that's why they were very pro F-18. Now they got an airplane. They got some burner in there. So, yeah. But A-7 guys, they're good guys, and it's a good airplane. Uh, can you almost wet your pants over Randy Cunningham? Man, I'm not sure I'd have gone that far. Uh, Jack Robert flew the A-7 in the Air Guard. Excellent. So you flew the A-7D. Uh, D, I'm familiar. Yes. Uh, did the F-14 have any nuclear capabilities, air-to-air, bombing, et cetera, during your tours? Uh, it never did, never has, and uh, no, no. When uh, they were loading nukes on the ship, the F-14 guys all went to our beds and we slept. Let's see here. Uh, what did you think, Jack? It was a good old man's airplane. Okay, any comments about Dick Man Trimble smoking the S-22? Uh, no, I, I mean, uh, he was trained well, he, 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 procedure-wise good. And again, you know, the SU-22 guys, I mean, they're, you know, they're limited in their knowledge of what's going on. I mean, that's why I say that the Russians have zero, uh, you know, command and control of what's going on out there. They showed how uh, anemic they are in that area. So, I mean, you know, any any worth withstanding, self-withstanding fighter guy would have been held to pay to get shot down. But it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, you know, the guy didn't know he's there, and he shot. So, you know, don't blame the guy. Good kill. Uh, if you had a chance to fly another fighter, what would it be? Probably probably F-15, probably. I like to fly in that. Good airplane, the right hands. Real cool. Okay, uh, A-6 Prowler still flying in a combat role with you, and what did you think about the A-6? Hey, the EA-6Bs were a high-value high uh, asset. Uh, we need those guys. Those guys uh, have endless capability of doing stuff, uh, as we're seeing now and have seen through Desert Storm and through Syria and the whole nine yards. So uh, it's a great asset. I think they're limited now. They should have kept the EA-6B and not gone to, you know, growlers and hornets because that's a, that's a downgrade. But, again, politics plays into it. You know, Boeing wanted to sell the Navy a bunch of more Super Hornets. And the Navy, you know, again, don't always promote the best and brightest. And that's all I'll say on that one. <clears throat> uh, have I flown any Russian aircraft? Uh, no. Uh, okay, I see another here. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. What do you think about uh, updating older fighters like MiG-21, F-16, F-15 versus buying newer jets with state-of-the-art missile radar system? Uh, I, 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 you know, the airframes F-15, F-16 are well worth, you know, upgrading MiG-21. Why? It's like putting, uh, you know, a 500 horsepower double-A dragster engine in a, in a Model A car. Why? I mean, you know, it's limited to fuel. It's limited to the radar. The F-16, F-15 are both uh, geared for, uh, enhanced radars and missile systems. The MiG-21's not. Okay, what is the smell inside a Tomcat? When I think about it, I imagine something like metal and kerosene. And more like uh, button balls. Uh, you know, you got the guys sweating in the cockpit, sweating in the seat. Uh, it's not rose petals, you know. So, you know, I will say I have flown several brand spanking new ones from the factory. And they do have the new car smell, which lasts about maybe three flights. After that, you're smelling the... Uh, you know, the last guy's uh, whatever he sat in or underwear or whatever. So it's not like you think it is. Why do you think the F-14 was so feared in combat, according to positive 
they're just throwing like Mike uh, Ravens and Dale Snodgrass and five or six horses, all of the mix would turn around and bug out. And as, as I said earlier here, the big F-14, 5,000-watt uh, radar, when you would turn those on to any Russian aircraft with our Serena gear, it would light their gear up. <clears throat> and because the uh, Iranians have been so effective against the Iraqis with their F-14s, they pretty well thought that as soon as an F-14 uh, vectored on you, uh, they were going to die. So they got their Sarina gear lit up, and they knew what it was because if nothing else lights up their gear like an F-14, they would uh, <coughs> haul butt. So <coughs> I'm sorry. That's kind of where that uh, came from. Have you flown any Russian aircraft? No, I have not. I've sat in uh, aircraft. I, I sat in Viktor Bukachev's Sukhoi in 1990 at the Oklahoma City Air America Air Show when he was doing his air show and I was doing my air show in the Tomcat. I sat in his airplane. Pretty cool. Big airplane. Big, big airplane. Okay, let's see here. Okay, do you think, do you fear the old school care groups with Tomcats? God damn it. Were more effective than the present day F-18 multi-row? Uh, probably no. No, the A-7s, A-6s were pretty well limited uh, with what they could do and their capabilities as compared to the F-18. Uh, as weapons have gotten more uh, technically based, you need airplanes that also are technically advanced. And the A7s, A6s uh, were not in that category. So as the weapons advanced, the airplane had to advance. And the F-18 legacy model had the, uh, the growth potential as well as the F-18 Super Hornet uh, with the advanced potential. So yeah, we, need, we need the Hornet out there doing its thing. Was there rivalry between squadrons? And, rivalry between squadrons, and, and how did it manifest? Yeah, it did. Uh, <clears throat> Brand X is always the other squadron uh, that you're flying against, fighter squadron, and you knew all the guys in there because either you trained them or they trained with you or whatever, and uh, you always wanted to do better than they did. And you always wanted to outfly them, and uh, on the ship, the only way you really did that was outsorting them. So. If they planned for 20 sorties that day and you got 21, all right, you know, that's good, you know, for whatever reason. So, yeah, and then once in a while you hit the beach and uh, you might end up in the same bar, and sometimes that could be uh, not a good deal. Okay, here, uh, what do you think about Carol Holgrain? Okay, I know all there is to know about her, and I'm, I'm sorry to say she should never, ever been put in the position she was put in. Uh, if she hadn't been put in that position, she'd be alive today. But, you know, the Navy and all their inept wisdom wanted to be the first in the block to have a, a girl in combat, a girl flying a combat aircraft. And they did that, and they pushed her right into her uh, casket. So uh, that's unfortunate. It was mishandled from the squadron level uh, on down. Uh, you know, it was a bad deal. Navy uh, showed uh, their stupidity in that deal. So did you ever fly any air demos, air shows? Yes, I did. I did. I flew the the A and the B, and uh, again, I'll tell you right now, below 5,000 feet, the A is every bit the monster the B is. Again, the A uh, with the TF-30 engines, uh, it likes gulping air, and it had all the air it wanted down low, and, you know, uh, we had uh, the engine supports, and both engines are turnbuckles. You had about uh, 
I think about six of them in each engine that held the engine together inside there and then the in the uh, airframe. And it wasn't unusual after a couple of air shows to open up the engine bays and look up in there. And the uh, turnbuckles were no longer round, they were elongated. And that's because you're putting uh, seven, eight Gs in the airplane and they were stretching the turnbuckles. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you have any knowledge on the Jazz 39 Gripen and its ECM capability? I heard it was very capable of Swedish service. I have no idea. It looks pretty cool. But that's all I know. That's all I know. Uh, with the F-14's wing sweep and speed increases, I heard there is a bladder or something in the center box that helps. Yeah, it's called the airbag. And the airbag actually works off your uh, air system of the airplane. So as soon as you crank up, uh, it blows air into the bladder the airbags on the airplane, which allows the wings to sweep over those. And if you don't have any air in those or the, the bladders have holes in them, you can't go above 300 knots. But that uh, was never, ever a shortcoming. Uh, the bladders always work, never had any problems with those, and uh, they work great. Do you have any sons and daughters who are also skilled, knowledgeable pilots? I have a 21-year-old son who just got accepted about a month ago to go in the Aviation Officer Candidate School for the Navy to start his pilot training in July. He graduates from William Mary here in May, and he's extremely excited about his potential of going off to be a uh, F-35 pilot. What's your opinion of the F-35, Charlie? I think it's awesome. Uh, I've flown the simulator quite a bit a long time ago, but I keep track of it. i got several friends of mine that have flown it. They all love the airplane, and it's like any airplane that's brand new. It's uh, growing, growing pains, and you can't always listen to the press because they don't know anything what they're talking about. They also never want to take your opinion from some test pilot guy because a test pilot guy is not a fighter pilot. He's a guy that sits there with a slide rule and a uh, compass and whatever and makes big equations. We need them, but not when it comes to assessing the aircraft's capability as far as the ACM goes. Okay, at what speed do the wings of the F-14 start to move back uh, in auto mode? Uh, you know, probably about 300 knots. They'll start easing back a little bit. Uh, but you got to remember, down low, the wings almost never, ever come back because it always senses at whatever airspeed and altitude you are the best wing position for your maneuverability. So a lot of times I would come in down low or, say, 10,000 feet. I'd meet some F-15 guy. I'd put my wings back manually go by him like I was doing like, you know, Mach 12, and then slap on a bat turn, put the wings in auto, and I'd turn right through his uh, his tin can back there, and he's going like, holy Christ, how did that happen? And I go like, well, you, you met me at Mach. And I said, no, 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 no. It appeared I was going that fast. I wasn't. So eh, I use them once in a while to deceive. Let's see here. Did any U.S. Air bombers ever fly over the fleet during your tours? Reddit happened many times, one crash after a low pass. Was there any cases where the Navy was surprised to recon training raids? Uh, out of my seven cruises in Tomcats, uh, I always flew, and the Bears, Badgers, never overflew the carrier unless one of us was on it. Uh, <clears throat> I've been on, oh, as soon as you pass Guam, or past Wake Island, you're in the, the Bear Range. As soon as you get over to England, uh, north of England, uh, you're in the Badger Bear Range, especially up into the 
invest in fjords in Norway up there. But we always knew when they're coming, and we'd always glom onto them no closer than 200 miles, no further out than 200 miles. We'd see them further out there, but we would only go on at 200 miles and stay on there the entire time. I've flown on the uh, the tail section of a, of a uh, bear with my wingman myself, uh, Chris Grizzell, uh, both of us up there together, flying his wing on the tail, solid IFR at 36,000 feet. And a little gomer in the back back there was, uh, you know, they were off of uh, Comron Bay. He's back there with his uh, stripped uh, shirt off, stripped down to the bare, bare, uh, bare meat there, showing us his Playboy uh, uh, magazine and his Jack Daniels bottle in the back. Kind of cool. Nice guys most of the time. Uh, do you always fly the same aircraft? No. I wondered because the name and call sign is always painted below the cockpit. I, I couldn't tell you which airplane had my name on it. It wasn't a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's only a big deal to you guys because we really don't care. And uh, so, yeah, I, I never knew. Never knew. It was, wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, let's see. What was your favorite airframe to fence against in direct aerial combat training? Uh, probably a, <clears throat> a well-flown Super Fox. It was always uh, pretty intriguing to fight someone who was good in the airplane. And uh, it really kind of stretched uh, your abilities and your capabilities in your airplane. So I always liked flying against the Super Fox. Did you have auto land on the F-14 and I hear talk about magic carp in the F-35? Do you know anything about this that you can talk about? Uh, we had the ACLS mode two, the Tomcat, <clears throat> but it was a manual force link in the back of the turtle back. <coughs> I've got one landing, not the carrier, but one landing in Oceana using the hands off. And the stick moved like it was on fire. I mean, it's pretty amazing the, the corrections that the airplane senses to put you through. Uh, but once you landed, just any kind of vibration or whatever would knock the force link out <clears throat> in the back of the airplane, and you no longer were capable of doing an ACLS mode two. Uh, the F-35 uh, Magic Carpet, all I know is that it kind of locks you up and uh, it links up with the aircraft through data link and it smooths things out. That's all I know about it. You know, they, it's so much easier now to fly at night than what it used to be. Let's see here. Uh, uh, right there, Dan. Right there. What was the most funny thing you saw involving an F-14 in flight? Uh, I remember. Uh, I remember being an ACM flight, and uh, we're out there on a. Uh, uh, 2v2. I got the student on my wing is a guy named uh, Peter Ill. Now, I'll give you one guess what his call sign was. His call sign was Sick Dick. Good guy. He's out there fighting the airplane. And I remember him being uh, pure vertical with uh, the A4 chasing him uphill. And he's literally ballistic on top at about 25,000 feet. At that time, we were carrying flares to, uh, you know, on the airplane just for simulation for the students to use to defeat missiles. And he was putting out flares. And because he was ballistic, the flares would go straight up and then bounce on the belly and, <laughs> and roll down the front of the airplane. It was hilarious. <laughs> I told him later on, I said, ah, I think you probably still died. So that was pretty funny. Uh, let's see here. Great. Remember seeing the triangle extension in the magazine schematic when I was younger, but 
It was never known. I have no idea what that is. Uh, let's see here. I know the ETC could take control of F-14s if necessary. Did you ever know of any circumstances happening? No. No. Any self-respecting fighter pilot will never let some E-2 guy control his airplane. He can control him statically, you know, on radios, but as far as taking control of the aircraft, no. No. What would you say was the greatest strength, the F-14? Probably it's uh, – it was Grumman Ironworks. It was almost impossible to tear up. I mean, it really was a sturdy airplane. You could have guys come in and plant the main mounts, plant them on the flight deck, and still bounce into a four-wire to fly. I mean, uh, it's just a very, very strong airplane. It was just a beast, you know. Again, it goes by the fact that Grumman Ironworks. Uh, did you use F-5s as aggressive training as they seem to be smoother? We did use F-5s. And, again, the F-5 is, is just really a force multiplier because uh, they never go down, and uh, they're pretty easy to maintain, but they really can't do anything. I mean, they really uh, – if I couldn't beat an F-5 and an F-14, I'd turn my wings in or, any, or a Hornet or anything else. Let's see here. We can see many top secret videos about reactive UFOs and cosmic aliens who have visited our Earth from their far galaxy by 24 starships with 144 <laughs> astronauts. Here's uh, Yeah, I'm actually one of those guys. I came from the uh, planet uh, Pluto. I'm only here for a short time. So, uh, yeah. Uh, did you fight against the F-15C? I have. I fought many F-15Cs, and I love fighting F-15 guys. I love fighting Air Force guys. You know, it's just, it's amazing. Uh, what were the biggest DACT strengths which you would do to counter in both the F-14A and the F-14B? I would uh, try to uh, – if I was an, oh, F-16, I fought them. i try to stay loose. i try to keep my knots up, keep the F-14 turning hard, and then, again, once I get that going there where he's basically slow and turning slow, I start driving the fight in the vertical. And once that happens, I pretty well own him. Uh, people have a – Strong tendency not to fight in the vertical because it kind of gets them screwed up in the head. So 95% of the people will not use the vertical to fight. So guess what? When you're out there uh, fighting the airplane and you're making a level turn and you look across the horizon, you see one, you see two, you see three guys. If someone's going vertical, guess what? You don't see them. They're up in the stratosphere. They're in the sun, whatever. So that's me. Okay, major carbon is the F-18 system based on dynamic lift control and the F-35. I have no idea. You're far smarter than me, Bubba. Okay, major carbon is flight or dynamic power, J-PAL, ISS guidance that links to yeah, – You just read that. I know. Uh, most embarrassing mishap? Uh, let's see here. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think here. Uh, oh, my Rio, young Gar Williamson, who's no longer amongst us, was uh, on my second cruise, his first cruise, and I, I've never in my life, no matter how long the flight is, I've never, ever pissed in the cockpit. I never carried a pedal pack. I didn't carry some uh, truck stop helper crap. I just, I, just, I just didn't do it. Well, he did. And once you start peeing in the airplane, you can't stop peeing because every flight we go on, he'd pee. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that he was doing that. I didn't care. I didn't want to smell it. And one day we're getting out of the cockpit, and his little bag broke back there in uh, his back seat. He goes, oh, gee, what do I do now? I go like, 
You clean it up, pal. Not not the plane captain. You. So you go down below. You get some uh, wipes up here, some shit, and you clean it up, pal. Over to you. So that's about the most embarrassing thing I can think of for him. Okay, which fighter was the best in a slow speed, below 250, groveling fight? I heard the F-18 was the king of the slow, super slow. Uh, probably so. Probably so. I would say that if I was a big flap kind of guy fighting a Hornet like that, I would probably uh, be able to beat it, but I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to get in that environment with a Hornet uh, down slow like that. So uh, you're probably right. Only two guys I know, I won't mention their names, are superior when it comes to fighting with the, the, the full flap stuff, and I'm quite sure they could probably gobble a Hornet. I've beaten Hornets many times before by, again, driving them slow, Get them slow, get them cocked up, and I've already, and then I'm using the vertical against them. So, you know, there's the uh, same way to skin the cab, there's different ways of doing it. Do you have any experience with aviation simulators available to the public? If so, what is your opinion? Uh, I'm an 18, 19-year airline guy, so I've been in the best sims that money can buy. So I'm not really sure. Uh, those, those you can't afford, so uh, I'm not really sure what you want my opinion about uh, when it comes to simulators. Like James or something. You played Jane's. Uh, I guess I've done Jane's, I guess, probably with an old computer. Uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So that's, that's, that's all I really kind of know. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what does it mean by going ballistic? Ballistic is when you're basically going pure vertical and you're out of, uh, out of knots and out of ideas. You put controls into the airplane and nothing happens because you're going straight up and there's no airflow over the – uh, system to do anything, and now you're kind of long for the ride. So you quietly, easily reach over to your harness lock, lock your harness because you're fixing the swap ends, and probably take a bite out of the dash of the cockpit there with your face, and then ride it back down again. So, uh, you know, that's what ballistic means. Okay, what was your primary navigation system? TACN, INS, INS, pal, all the way, INS. TACN, uh, too easy to get Miji, Miji's me with somebody else. Dials your tack in and takes control of it. So uh, we always use INS, and we had ways to update that. And, of course, later on, GPS. GPS is the only way to go. Uh, your most memorable moment flying the F-14? Well, I guess uh, I was doing the air show at Lucas, Scotland. I had my skipper in the back seat, and we were up on cruise on the Vesta Fjord. And we got an invite to come down to the Lucas Scotland uh, air, show, air Show. So I was qualified air show pilot. So my skipper flew in my backseat, and the CAG uh, flew down in an A6. He was a BM. So we both of us flew down out of Vesta Fjord down to Lucas Scotland. And, of course, uh, they came in ahead of me. The air show people there wanted me to come in and do a, a quick demo. They call it demo. Are you there, you know, demo or display? And, I, and demo is you land, and, and the display is you park the airplane. Demo is you do something. So they want me to come in and, and do something. So I said, okay, so the, the airfield's yours. So I came in at about just, just below Mach, about 590 uh, in mill, had the wings back, and I put the glove veins out because uh, you get great vapes. Uh, so I came in at about 100 feet, and my game plan was to do a – Tuck under 270 break. In other words, I was going to pitch up about one degree, roll left for 270 degrees, and then do a right-hand break and do that at 100 feet. And so I got there. I came in. I was going in the speed of heat, like I said, just, just below Mach. 
pitch the nose up with some net hair, roll left. Well, when you do that, <clears throat> you're going that fast, and the wing's back, and the glove veins are out because the airplane is smarter than I am. It says, ah, if you roll the airplane real hard, uh, you might over-torque the, the stabs of the airplane and twist the airplane. So I will limit you to one-quarter stick throw. So guess what? I come in, rape Dave, King Kong, you know, hair flowing, you know, I'm God. And I uh, pitch up and do this tuck under break, and I slam the stick over, and one potato, two potato, three potato. Next thing I know, three seconds have gone by, and I'm inverted 100 feet, and all I see is the ground below us. And I'm going, and I say to my, I say to my skipper in the back seat, I say, and I will never do this ever again. And I rolled out and pitch broke and landed. And of course, the uh, people are going to ape shit, going, holy shit, Jesus Christ, you know, that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, I had my knees buckling. My, my skipper thought it was awesome. He was clapping me in the back of the head and hugging me. Oh, what a great job. He didn't realize I basically pissed in my pants. So, you know, yeah, that was my most embarrassing time. Uh, memorable. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for coming. From Grum. Yeah, Grum is the best, pal. Grum is the best. Uh, let's see here, uh, nightmare. Okay, uh, let me scroll up. Yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, is the cat B a rate or radius fighter? Uh, not sure what you mean there, partner. I'm sorry. Is there a particular Tomcat Bureau that means more to you for a particular reason? If so, why? Uh, since I've been in this kind of world where you guys are, you guys all live and die by bureau numbers. I, if they were important to us, we'd have had the bureau numbers written bigger. So I have no clue. Uh, side numbers don't mean anything. Bureau numbers don't mean anything. Uh, they're all written down in my logbook, which I have six logbooks together here because I got 6,000 hours. But I, you know, no, 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 not one, any one airplane over another one. I'm curious to hear how useful was the Rio when Tomcat is being attacked by missiles. Uh, i tell you what, uh, I've, I've been in that position like that before, and having another guy out there and you're working together, my uh, my two cents worth is there's nothing better than a good Rio and nothing worse than a bad Rio. But when you're out there working together in unison, uh, you're avoiding left to right. I mean, more than once, I have been jumped by, by three guys going through strike farp with my uh, Max Dugan, my Rio young guy in the back seat, calling him Mad Max. And he's back there basically talking my eyes on the airplane, talking me through maneuvers, and I'm literally responding to him. I can't see the guys because they're working above me and behind me. And I'm literally fighting, shadow fighting the airplane with his calls in the back to where I finally get all three aircraft on one side of me. Then I said, okay, Max, I've got them all three. Thank you. So, yeah, uh, good Rio is another pair of eyes. It's great. Would you agree Top Gun movie's real star was the F-14 and not Tom Cruise? Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Totally. Uh, what were the best BFM tactics for an F-5 pilot flying against F-14 and F-15s? Get lost. That's your only tactic. If you go out there and turn either two-circle or one-circle against an F-5 or F-15 or F-14, they're going to gun your brains out. It's your best bet. Blow through it mock, and then go pure vertical to the moon up into the sun, and hopefully lose sight of you. And chances are they probably will. Then you come down and you shoot somebody. That is the only recourse that an F-5 has. Uh, that's my last shot with the credits rolls. is two time cancel, not Mr. Cruz. Yeah, okay. Okay, here. 
Uh, F-14's whole airframe was a lifting body. It actually generated more lift. That's not a question. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Did you ever fly against? No, I knew Bug Roach real well. Bug was a great guy. He wasn't a fantastic driver, but he was a great LSO and a great human being. And uh, yeah, I know I know Bug, Bug and I were in the rag together and 124 at the same time. So I, I know Bug real well. And I know a lot of Bug stories. And uh, he's, he's a good shit. He was uh, unceremoniously killed in VF-126 because they were a crappy squadron and they didn't do their maintenance right. That's what killed him. Uh, with the release of the new super realistic F-14B simulator DCS world, what would you give as golden tip for dogfighting the F-14s? Uh, keep your knots up, you know. Uh, don't turn unless you got them all in sight, I guess, basically. Uh, yep, F-15 to the one-wing landing. Yep, yeah, I knew that. Johnny Ellis, look it up. F-1491 was in a mid-air collision with and was able to cruise at only 300 knots with one wing and like the 15. At the same time, yeah, it was, yeah, I know about that one. Uh, great air show story. Thanks. Article in aviation. Early on. Still can't get an actual question. Those were all statements. Yeah, okay. Doesn't want to go up anymore. Does it not? I'm oh, sorry. Hmm. I'll just, just use that. Okay, I'll do that. Then. Yeah. So the next one is uh, right there. Which is the better HUD system? Uh, which is the better HUD system, the original version of the A model or the later, more original version of the... Yeah, the, I flew the B also. The B, I flew, same HUDs, the A. The D had a superior, and I mean underlying, superior HUD over the A and the B. Did you operate off CV-60 in the Saratoga? No, I did not. I operated off the Forrestal, which is the same class of ship. Can you tell a story where you felt really cool as a fighter pilot, just feeling like, damn, I love my job type thing? Yeah, uh, in the old club, about half hammered with two girls asked me to go home with them. <laughs> That's when I felt really cool. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Tell us about your first trap. Right okay, first CV trap and Tomcat. Uh, yeah, just, you know, by the time you go, you're, you're ready to go. You're trained. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Uh, I flew with a guy named Fred Brown, who was an A5 <clears throat> RAN. Good guy, good old country boy, real slow talking. And I remember my uh, second night trap, first night trap was no comment. I got it really nice. I got it okay on it. Second night trap, uh, Fred's going like, hey, okay, we'll get it here close. I'm going to tell you when to go for it. And so Fred would go, water, water, or steel. He'd yell, invariably, I use down DLC, right into a one wire. And the LSOs knew that. And Mike Richardson was the LSO. And he said, said Fred, stop talking to the lieutenant. So. That was the end of that one there. Uh, Here, just scroll up because new new comments are coming in. So now scroll up. Okay. okay. So right there. Question about the F-111. Okay, well, what did you think about the Air Force Fighter? Yeah, great airplane for what it did. I mean, their systems uh, awesome. I think you go so fast, so low. Uh, 